Welcome to the Leadership Window podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 69 of the Leadership Window podcast. Uh, It's been a little bit since we had a guest. Uh, It took a couple of weeks. I actually got sick one week. Uh, And then we've just had a a ton of stuff going on. But I'm really excited about this conversation, not only because of the amazing guest that we have. You're going to love her. But because we're going to be talking about uh, just one of my favorite I don't even know if if I call it an organization, a family, a retreat, a network. I don't know what it is, but it's a big, it's been a big part of my life since about 2008. And we're going to talk about it because a lot of the listeners to this program, because this is focused on the social sector, many of you will be very, very interested in this organization we're talking about. It is a full on, I would say the blend between a conference, a camp, a family retreat, a vacation, a leadership development. I mean, it's, there's, it's so many things packed into uh, what we do and, but it's for nonprofit leaders, senior nonprofit leaders and people who are in that sort of social impact, social sector kind of work. We'll talk a little bit about who is in the Blue Ridge Institute, which is now actually known as BRI. Some of you have heard about this on this program before. Last year, we had last year's president. um, And this year, we have this year's president. We're actually just a couple of weeks away from this year's conference. So if you're listening and you're like, oh, I want to go this year, probably too late for this year. But we wanted to do this show now because we know that for most social sector leaders, it probably takes the better part of a year to budget, plan, and um, just sort of get all the ducks in order to be able to attend something like this. So we wanted to do this now, and plus I didn't want to wait till after Carrie was no longer president because I really wanted her on the show, which I guess we could have done anyway. But um, Carrie Hepburn-Brown is our guest today. She is, I'm going to start with, she is the president of the Blue Ridge Institute this year, or BRI. And um, that is just, it, it's been an amazing journey for her. I'm going to let her tell you more about that, but it's just fantastic to see her journey through BRI to that podium and to that position of leadership. And I just think she's the perfect person at the perfect time for BRI. But professionally, uh, well, the, the jobs that she gets paid for, she is the strategic director of engagement for the Foundation for a Healthy St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg, Florida, Tampa area. And uh, in this role, she establishes and facilitates the execution of a listening framework. I want to hear more about this from Carrie. She manages the listening portfolio for the organization. How many of you have a listening portfolio? I got to tell you, that was a new term for me when when uh, I learned a little bit about the foundation. So I want to have her tell us about that. But um, she is responsible for strategically expanding the advocacy work, the anti-racist networks on behalf of the foundation. She's a lead staff member uh, for the Penel. Race Equity Leadership Council and other initiatives. But she also is a fantastic consultant 
at Onyx Strategic Consulting. She is the CEO and principal consultant there. It's a boutique consultant firm um, committed to creating a more equitable world. You're probably already starting to hear a theme. Carrie is very passionate about equity and uh, she lives it, she breathes it, and she exemplifies it. So Carrie, I would, I would go on and on, but we want to get to you. So uh, let's, uh, let's just uh, hear from you and let me start by saying a huge thank you for carving out time and coming on this program. I've been anxious to have you here and I'm glad you're finally here. Thank you so much, Patrick. I think you've been way too generous, but I certainly appreciate all the kind words and the warm sentiments. It's indeed a pleasure to talk about um, a journey that I haven't had a chance to talk a lot about. So um, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, it's interesting at BRI. I mean, everyone has just a slightly different story to tell. And, and our listeners are probably already going, wait a minute, like what? Why is this a big deal, a story to attend a conference? Like, I don't understand this. You're going to understand it before the show's over. It's a, it's different than any sort of nonprofit conference or association conference or even leadership conference that, that you've ever been to. I, I think I can truly say that it's certainly unique to anything I've experienced. Would you, would you agree, Carrie, with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, for good reason too. And I guess you're not asking me that yet. So I'll, I'll pause. Oh, do you, don't <laughs> wait for questions. Yeah. So I think what, one of the things that for me makes Blue Ridge really unique is that it is equal parts professional development as well as personal um, restoration and reflection. And I think sometimes as leaders, um, we're really in service to those that we work on behalf of. We forget the part to take care of ourselves, And that's one of the things that I appreciate about BRI is that it does, um, it, it does sort of remind you about the importance of keeping that balance. It also is a way if you're interested to include family or other friends. Um, so it's just, it's, it's unique in several ways, but I think the camaraderie um, and the opportunity to sort of have that balance are the things that I appreciate mo most. Yeah. The tagline for BRI is learn, lead, renew. So it really is that. I mean, we're there. We, we learn so much. I mean, we get great programming. We'll talk a little bit about this year's program just to give an example. But we learn so much from each other. I mean, we're in a room and, and at a, a retreat together and we're connected all year long with each other with world class leaders. I mean, people who are really making unbelievable impact and demonstrating unbelievable leadership in their communities. It is a tremendous learning network. I totally agree with you, Patrick. The thing that I appreciate is that um, unless you really start to dig and talk to people, there's an air of, yes, I do amazing things, but not a sense of arrogance. And you'd, you, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody going around tooting their own horn. So it's a great opportunity to really learn about people, leadership style, and then sort of how they contributed contribute in their professional work um, sort of in that direction, as opposed to leading with the, I am so-and-so and my title is this. I love the opportunity to get to know people first that's um, a, and then find out a little bit about the work that they do. That's a powerful observation. And you're absolutely, you're right. As I'm thinking about it, I've had, you're, you have to dig a little bit. I've found out <laughs> things about people and you're like, whoa, okay. Um, <laughs> right. like, okay, this is a, like a real deal community hero here. This is, and you, you learn these things throughout the year. Sometimes you learn them just, you know, sort of serendipitously, but you're right. This isn't a group of people walking around, um, you know, flashing their credentials and talking about the great things that they've achieved, but they really are. So just the people in this network are 
truly accomplished leaders. So I, I just think that's very cool. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the foundation and about Onyx, just so people know you a little bit more. And then let's come back to BRI. This role at the Foundation for a Healthy St. Petersburg, fairly new role for you, by, um, if I have that right. Um, that was a months, actually. What's that? Yep, just a few months, actually. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. So talk about that. What led you there? And, and t- tell us a little bit more about the foundation itself. What, what does this foundation actually do? Uh, thanks, Patrick, for the opportunity. So I will say what may sound cheesy, but what actually brought me to the foundation was the role. So um, I serve as the senior director of engagement. Um, and I think the best way to explain that is to talk a little bit about the evolution of the foundation. So the foundation is a private uh, foundation based on um, as a result of a hospital conversion, uh, which means that there's latitude um, to really sort of chart the course of the work. From the very beginning, there was a commitment to equity. Initially, we were framing it around health equity, um, talking a lot about social determinants of health, which I always try to explain to people really means social and environmental factors that impact people's outcomes. We sort of get public health-ish sometimes, um, but really sort of taking this global view of our entire community, what kinds of things were necessary, appropriate, and could be helpful to really improve the health outcomes that we were seeing. That journey led um, the foundation to then honing on honing in on um, health equity a little bit more specifically. And then most recently in December, the foundation upgraded its mission, which is now we achieve health equity through race equity by listening humbly, learning fearlessly and leading courageously impacting systems change. So a a lot is packed in that, um, that mission statement. And it's the thing that keeps me so motivated, mostly because there is the, um, the clear articulation of health equity and the connection to race equity, which you've already heard a little bit just from the titles that that's certainly a passion and interest of mine. But also we start with the methodology and one of those is by listening humbly. So over the last two years in the pandemic, I've noticed, um, and you may have as well, noticed this uh, strong uh, surgence of philanthropy and nonprofits in general, realizing the importance of what we now call lived experience, but really hearing from those most impacted about what was happening to them and their ideas and recommendations for how to how to make things better. So I came to the foundation really with that as my primary responsibility of helping us to identify um, really clear ways of how are we hearing and how are we listening in the community? So what what opportunities are there for people to share with us, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're experiencing? How do we then take that from a feedback perspective and in integrated into our strategies, how we do grant making, but also how we fuel other ideas and resources. So it's been a ton of fun. I've um, been fortunate enough to do a lot of types of different listening, um, particularly in the space for the foundation. Um, we, we They started with community conversations um, and I have a background of sort of community engagement. So I feel really at home in sort of now having the opportunity to get paid to do what I love best, which is talking to people and listening to their ideas. Wow. Um, so I'm guessing that this, for some reason, is standing out to me as a, a big question for you or an assumption. Um, again, I love the idea of the listening. I love the term humble listening. I love the term listening portfolio. My guess is that 
listening is kind of the second piece to what you do. Uh, you know, when we listen to communities and, and I've, I've facilitated a ton of community conversations and listening sessions and focus groups and things, the key to a really effective listening is making sure that everyone has an opportunity to be heard. So the, before the listening comes the inviting and the finding the people that we are needing to hear from. Is that also a part of your work? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for asking um, from that perspective, Patrick. So um, I, I think there are a number of ways. Um, and so I'll just give you a couple of examples of things that we have tried. So during the, or ha- things that we've done during the pandemic, we really sort of started what was initially sort of a pilot study to really just start to um, you sort of our social network of folks who were community partners and connected to the to the community and ask them really to talk to their neighbors, talk to their friends, talk to acquaintances um, and explore how people were being impacted by COVID, what were um, some of the things that they were learning and dealing with. And it did really um, help to influence the strategy. It was a, a way in which we became uh, very nimble and adaptable to really meeting the needs as they were emerging. And I think that to me was one of the most exciting uh, parts of being um, being able to see the change happen real time. So you're exactly right. The invitation um, is, I think, one of the biggest piece because uh, you can tell people that, hey, we want to hear from you. But you can sh- I think you go uh, much further to show people that you want to hear from from them. And those are the the pieces that I'm really hoping to hone in and refine it for us as we have various opportunities. People can send email and they can go through the website and they can show up at events, but really also understanding what is the motivation for each person and how do we engage in relationship so that it's not a one-off sort of thing. Oh, thanks for sharing what you thought. Good luck. You know, it really is the beginning of a relationship. So that's the connection to the piece that folks may have heard in my bio, which is sort of building this um, this advocacy network of folks who are supportive of anti-racist policies and really wanting to see our 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 community and our world really uh, be more equitable for all. And you you might have said this, and I might have missed it. Is the foundation a funding foundation like so many, or is this truly a more of a of an advocacy foundation? Yep. So I would say we're a combination. So we do we talk about ourselves as having a, a variety of fields. So we do also we do sort of traditional grant making, but we also have other resources. We have a center which can be a venue that's filled with technology um, and all sorts of other um, amenities for organizations who want to have meetings, convenings, sort of get together. So it's it's also been identified as a neutral spot for people to convene and get together, get to know each other. That's another one of the uh, resources that we provide to the community. Um, some We have some physical technology like laptops and those kinds of things. So yes, I would say that we absolutely do provide uh, uh, grant grants and um, other funding opportunities, but we consider ourselves to be so much more than that in, in the way that we're able to fuel the mission and work of our, our fellow colleagues and well, partners. And to be so connected to the community and to do the listening you do helps inform good, good grant making. Um, one of the things I've learned a lot from re- actually a number of people in BRI uh, I've learned a lot as, as a uh, strategy coach within the nonprofit sector about how much is 
involved when you say a healthy community. Mm. And most people who wouldn't know, they, we think medical health. We think a healthy community means, you know, low rates of cardiovascular disease or diabetes or cancer, you know, and, and those, that's all part of it. Obviously it's a part of our physical health. But when we talk about a healthy community, man, have I learned so much about the pieces that connect to that. And, you know, and I've seen foundations, other health foundations that I've worked with who are involved in everything from transportation to education technology to, you know, parental, I mean, all kinds of things because there is a, a, a known body of research that says these things affect the overall health. Yes, the physical and mental health of people and the overall health of the community. So I've learned a lot about the social determinants of health, for example. There's a phrase that a lot of people have heard but don't know what they are. We won't go d deep into them today, but um, th I, that's the appreciation I've gained for foundations like yours, Carrie, and the work that you're doing is that when we say foundation for a healthy St. Petersburg, we're not talking about a, a, a hospital system. Right. Thanks, Patrick, for that clarification. Um, and to your point, um, I'm excited to see how much um, research and sort of um, additional information is now being provided, um, unfortunately, but fortunately, COVID um, and the, the pandemic was a opportunity for people to really understand all of the other factors that, in, uh, that impact folks' health. And so you are correct. It, it's so much more than healthcare. And actually, um, you know, depending on which source you're looking at, the actual clinical care of folks only accounts for about 20 to 25% of their health outcome. There are things like their environment, obviously individual behaviors, um, but social connectedness, these, you know, level of education and access, all of these things, housing um, opportunities also impact even more so um, their health and their health outcome. And, and when I talk about health, I really do mean it globally to mean um, physical health, mental health, emotional health. And I think that's the, the other important piece is to recognize that the whole sort of person and, and how all of those factors uh, come into play. Well, it's incredible. And I, I think one of the biggest challenges that organizations like yours have is just getting people to understand that, <laughs> you know, absolutely, I mean, the, <laughs> it's a mouthful. not, not that the work you're doing isn't complex enough, but yeah. Um, real quickly, tell us about Onyx. I know that this is not, um, sort of the full-time thing for you anymore, but, but the door is open and you're still able to help, um, organizations, individuals. Tell us a little bit about Onyx, how that came to be and what you're doing there. Yeah, so um, I, I ran a regional nonprofit for a while that was really based around collaborations and sort of, you know, bringing nonprofits together to work um, and not just nonprofits, but public private partnerships. And I, I, I really felt like that was a, an amazing opportunity for me to combine a skill set of like relationship building, but also meeting the need in community. Um, and so after several years, um, and, and in that role, I, I, we had a uh, focus on advocacy, wellness, and health equity. Um, and as time progressed, I, I realized how incredibly um, passionate I was, particularly around health equity. And now we talk about it in race equity, but really um, seeing equitable outcomes um, for, for, for families, for individuals, for communities. And so I decided 
um, to sort of break out on my own um, and utilize the skills and expertise that I had gained through a variety of ways to work with organizations. So primarily um, as the principal consultant and founder of Onyx, I work with organizations to develop programs and or strategies. I also do some facilitation and training all around um, equity, race equity, having those those really complicated conversations, um, but ultimately with a vision of improving um, health outcomes and making the world more equitable. So it's it's a really great way to, I've found to really um, take my passion um, and use it in a very specific sort of way um, and be um, very, I think very impactful in a, way, in, a, in a meaningful way that that matters for me and the folks that I get the opportunity to work with. You know, Carrie, as you're talking through this and your background, even before Onyx, I'm just sitting here thinking you, you really true, you truly embody the essence of what BRI is all about. There's so Uh many, well, there's just, you know, we're trying to make social impact in our world, which means in our communities, whatever that might be. We've got people running state organizations, national organizations, and tiny little organizations in tiny little rural towns in BRI. But your background and just the variety and the diversity of experience, I I think that you get in this sector if you want it. I mean, I came in through the United Way Network that's where I got my nonprofit experience and just the diversity of experience. I mean, you learn how to, how to be a a marketer, an accountant, a a website builder, a public speaker, a social scientist. I mean, you kind of have to do a little bit of all of it. And I just, I I love hearing that story and all the things that, that you've done. And I know that's only just a small portion of it. When we come back uh, from a really short break here, we're going to dig into the Blue Ridge Institute, and I'll tell you a little bit about its history and sort of what it is, and then I want to jump in, Carrie, um, to how who who invited you to Blue Ridge, what prompted you to come, what have you gathered since you've been. I want to hear your Blue Ridge story. I'll tell tell a little bit of mine as well, Um, but let's just take a short break. I want to hear from our sponsors at Leadership Systems Incorporated. Hey, this is Michael Wallace with Leadership Systems Incorporated. And on behalf of LSI, I want to say thanks for supporting our friend Patrick Jinks and the Leadership Window podcast. We've been partnering with Patrick for many years, and we are so proud to have him represent us as an LSI certified executive coach. As a mutual friend, we'd like to offer you exclusive rates on some of the same training that Patrick has received over the years, as well as some new experiences that we've been developing. Head over to leadershipsystems.com slash jinx to see the upcoming training events on our calendar and register today to keep learning and growing. Again, that's leadershipsystems.com slash jinx, J-I-N-K-S, for exclusive pricing on LSI's virtual and in-person training events. Thanks a lot. All right, Carrie, let's talk about BRI. Um, interestingly enough, we're celebrating our 95th year this year. Pretty amazing. Uh, pretty not, amazing not, <laughs> not a lot of, not a lot of uh, networks like this. In fact, um, as, as I learned when I first got into, uh, BRI, BRI started, here was the name. It was the Blue Ridge Institute for Southern Community Executives. That was the name of the organization. Ah. And it mostly was, you know, when we talk about community executives, it was everything from, you know, like Salvation Army to, 
uh, there, there was even like community services and even some social services within the municipality uh, agencies and things, as well as your typical sort of what people, what a lot of people would consider to be charitable organizations in communities. But yeah, the Blue Ridge Institute for Southern Community Executives was its name. And as I understand, there used to be one of its kind in every region of the country. And the Blue Ridge Institute was the last standing and still stands um, at 95. And of course, it's it's evolved, particularly, I would say, in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. Um, it has really evolved and it's had to just like everything else. But um, the the idea is we call ourselves members, but technically we aren't. Technically, it's not a membership organization. It is literally an annual event. However, we've gotten creative to say that for those that are attending and want to remain connected, we've done a fantastic job, I think, more recently of staying connected throughout the year. You know, COVID, of course, forced a lot of that for everybody. We learned how to get together uh, from a technology standpoint, in fact, our last two conferences were uh, over Zoom. But um, the idea there was there were a few things that I, I want to get out there and let people know that I think are important for the history. One is in the past, it was required that you were the executive director or chief executive officer of the organization to qualify to be a member of the Blue Ridge Institute. The idea was that it was at that elite level. We wanted the, the, you know, the, the CEOs or the executive directors to be able to get together and share a network that only they shared, no board members, no staff members, just the executive directors. And that served a very, very powerful purpose. As you might imagine, as we've evolved over the last 10 to 12 years, we've expanded that to a number of senior leaders, what you might call C-suite leaders, um, up and coming or rising executive directors in their organizations or senior leaders. And um, the second thing about that is that BRI has always been an invitation only. So you had to have somebody that knew you that would say, hey, Carrie, I think you'd be great for BRI. Why don't you come as my guest this year? And you had to get invited. Now, um, we still do a lot of inviting, but people can can self-apply to uh, be members. Of member, we'll, we'll say members for because that's what kind of how, how everyone relates to it. And I think we had our first one three or four years ago. I don't remember how long Brittany Sink has been a Ridger now, but she's um, she was our I remember she was our first one to self-apply, self-nominate. And so now we're not limited to the South because there aren't any others in other regions. And we are not limited to executive directors, although we are looking for senior leaders in social impact. And we're not requiring that you have some invitation from someone who is a longtime Ridger. So those have changed. Last thing I'll, the last two things I'll say quickly about BRI. Um, It is, of course, an annual event. For the first 80 something years, uh, the Blue Ridge Institute was held at the Blue Ridge Assembly which is a YMCA facility near Black Mountain, North Carolina, outside of Asheville. And that was where they met for 80 years. There was a ton of magic because of all the tradition that that goes with having the event at the same place in the Blue Ridge Mountains. 
I was fortunate enough to at least gotten the last year at Black Mountain. So I got to experience all that everybody always talks about, the lore of, of that. Um, but we've since been in a number of other locations. We've been at Fall Creek Falls in Tennessee. We've been at Fontana Village Resort in North Carolina. This year, we're at Massanutten Resort up in central to northern Virginia. Not sure yet where we'll be next year, but it'll be someplace where it's retreat-like and mountainy and um, uh, where it's not just, you know, we don't want to just meet at the Marriott in, you know, Atlanta or something like that. So, um, and then the the last thing is that the really interestingly enough, BRI is full of these little quirky traditions, and some of them are gone just because of of the venue. You know, has changed. Like we used to do coffee detail in the mornings, and um, it, it, those are those are stories we don't tell a lot anymore. But um, you know, the president, for example, wears a red shawl on their shoulders. And there's tradition behind what that red shawl represents. And it's basically the mantle of leadership for BRI. And there's this hokey little song even that, that goes with it. And there's this, there's this tradition, much like you might experience, I don't know, with, with, with scouts or, you know, some other organizations that have had these longstanding traditions. What I love is that we have figured out now how to adapt to a place where the physical location is not the magic the family is the magic. So we've been able to duplicate what we call the front porch. That was part of the legend of the Blue Ridge assembly is these rocking chairs on the front porch. And everyone, you know, in the evenings and the mornings would spend time rocking on the front porches and learning from each other and sharing, you know, everything from family to career. We've learned how to, to make the front porch more of a concept and a, and an idea. And so, yes, it's great programming, it's leadership development, but it's a, it's their sessions where you come and you, you wear shorts and flip-flops if you want to, you know, it's not suit and tie. It's very, very, um, informal and I, I'm going to stop there and we'll talk about the other aspects of, of Blue Ridge, but I want to turn it to you, Carrie, and, and let's, let's hear from you on when did you come, who invited you, give us a little bit of your story and your experience with BRI. <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. So just hearing you talk a little bit about the history takes me back um, to remembering when I was a fresh person. So I would, first of all, have to give credit to two uh, Blue Ridgers uh, for inviting me. That would be um, a combination of Eileen Coogan as well as Cherie Wright-Jones. Um, and I started my first year at Blue Ridge was the 2012 conference. Um, Wow, there's so many things to say, but um, one of the things that comes to mind for me is that, um, you know, we use the phrase uh, Blue Ridge is a, a family of choice, and I think that's so accurate. My experience has been that um, every Blue Ridge, you know, retreat, get together, professional development conference um, has been something different, but it's been what I needed at the time, even if I didn't know it. Mm. Um, when I started Blue Ridge, and most people don't know this, so we're about to reveal some, <laughs> some interesting stuff. When I started at Blue Ridge, I'd only been an executive director for about a year. But in, in addition to that, I was recently divorced. And it wasn't something that I was really public about. It was something that I was really trying to um, 
sort of work through, process through. I, at the time, was really hopeful and was um, had had beliefs that I would um, reconnect and my husband and I would get remarried. And so it was an interesting time for me as a solo um, staff member of a, of a nonprofit where I thought I had the opportunity to really utilize my highest and best skill set. I didn't have anybody outside of the board to really talk about the things that I was struggling with in terms of, you know, leadership challenges and how to move the work forward and how to operationalize all the things that I was I was envisioning. So for me, the first year at Blue Ridge really was a space that I needed to just hear like, okay, I'm not alone. This is not uncommon to other folks, but also I needed the personal time to sort of just reflect on where I was personally and what that meant to me um, as I continued my leadership journey. So that's the start of it. (laughs) Wow. Well, let's just keep going and, and talk about, you know, being serving as the president of BRI is I considered it to be just one of the biggest honors of my career. Um, it's a, it's a big deal because you're invited by your peers to serve in that role. And generally you've, you know, you've, you're invited because you've demonstrated a commitment. You've made contribution. Maybe you've served on an, an activities committee for one of the conferences. Maybe you've served on the as the marketing chair for BRI. But whatever it is, you show yourself to be a leader even outside of your your profession and your um, occupation. And um, you know, I I very much remember my journey. My journey to becoming president was was pretty unique. Uh, at the time, I was one of the younger presidents um your journey has been an interesting one to watch as well how has how has your journey from that first year of man this is a this is a getaway and a time for me to pause on all these personal things to now you're wearing the red shawl and you're going to be presiding over this conference this year and you're you're bringing so much leadership to the network all year round talk about that journey from year one to where you are now in in bri Thanks, Patrick. Um, so we'll just continue this this thread of transparency. And you, I think you may know this, but for those who are listening, I, I do want to sort of share um, this aspect. So I've, I've talked a little bit about sort of the what I would des- I would describe now as sort of the fragile state that I was in my first year at Blue Ridge. And to be quite honest, I wasn't sure if it was for me. I thought. Um, with what I was going through personally and sort of, you know, trying to find where I fit into this this family of choice, I wasn't sure if it was the thing that could really help me sort of navigate all of the things as I continued my leadership journey. So um, with that regard, I'll say the, the, the year after, so obviously um, the, the, the hope is that once you become a Blue Ridger, you'll continue to be a Blue Ridger. And part of that experience means showing up to the conference every year. And then as the board, we've really worked on ways of keeping folks engaged year round. So it is more than just the one week. Um, but I didn't come back the second year. Um, because I was really sort of trying to figure out if, if this is what I want to do, is this the right thing? And I, I mentioned to you, um, and I, I, I certainly want to share that there are two people who were really influential um, 
a couple people that were really influential in me sort of coming back and making the the commitment to 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 be a ridger. Um, so the first person I'll mention is the the year after I so I missed I was there 2012 and missed 2013. I came back in 2014, and at that time I was still. Um, uh, solo ED, leading an organization, trying to do the best I can, working probably way more hours than I should have been um, without good um, um, boundaries. At that time, we were still at Falls Creek Falls that had very limited Wi-Fi and cell phone connectivity. <laughs> um, and so one of the one of the things that um, was provided for folks was if it was um, was like sort of like a ad hoc computer lab. And um, because I was really trying to navigate both what was happening with the organization, being the only staff person, as well as also trying to be very present with the program, I spent a lot of time in the computer lab. And so I was there one afternoon and a mutual colleague that that we both know and I adore is Benita Gavin was there. And she just sort of started talking to me, asking me about, you know, how I got to Blue Ridge, what I was interested in. Um, and she made me feel welcomed in a way of a personal connection that I had not yet had. And so I sincerely appreciated that. Um, and so it got me to say, like, it got me thinking, like, OK, there's more than one way to sort of navigate how to be a ridger. Um, and then, again, I was still sort of trying to figure out where do I go from here with this you know, with this commitment um, in the following year, or maybe it's the year after you'd have to tell me for sure, I think it was 2016, when um, Sarah Faircloth was president, we were we were seeing across our, our, our landscape, our nation and our world really some um, some unfortunate situations in terms of race and race relations. And Sarah reached out to me and asked if I would do a reflection um, at the conference. Um, and that was incredibly meaningful for me because it was an opportunity to sort of take all that I had gotten from Blue Ridge and sort of share back. It also happened to be the same year that my mom transitioned and I saw folks rally around me in a way that I had not expected. Um, and that was really the point in which it solidified for me. Yeah, this is a group of people that I may not be in touch with all the time, but undoubtedly I can count on them for whatever is necessary. I can also have difficult and hard conversations with them um, and hold space for us to disagree, to agreeably disagree. And so it was after that year that I was invited to join the board and I did um, and got, you know, a little bit more involved and engaged as a member of um, at large. Um, and then in, in a, I don't know, serendipitous way, if you will, um, I was sort of just being a board member, doing what I could to contribute. And the conversation arose like, hey, would you consider being BRI president? And I will say for me, um, I, I felt instantly that it was a job I could do, right? Like, I, I think I have good leadership skills, not always the best um, in terms of time management, but certainly um, the skills and the personality to sort of um, encourage folks. And I think a, a pretty unique story that could be um, inspiring to people. So the question that I asked myself was, yes, I can do it. Do I want to do it? Um, and I, I'll, I'll say this um, in the 95 year history, Patrick, you know this, um, but for folks who are listening, um, we had not had a hugely diverse range in terms of race 
of, uh, of BRI presidents. And so I recognize that there was an opportunity to sort of also step into the history and add to that amazing diversity of, of our family of choice. Um, but also I really thought about um, and looked at and reflected on the, the mission and the values of BRI. And it was at that moment that I said, it's not only something that I can do, it's something that I wanna do. And I felt like it was happening at a time that was, you know, sort of um, really uncertain. You know, we were going through the pandemic. We weren't really sure where we would, you know, how we would land on the other side of it, but it felt like something that I wanted to contribute to and be able to say, you know, I was able to, to stand in the gap at a time where we weren't sure how to move forward and help to bring us over to the other side. So I don't know if that's a long way of answering the question. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's great. And, and I did, you know, you mentioned a couple of people that were influential in sort of keeping you there and engaged and Vanita and Sarah, <clears throat> I will let you know that because this is, this kind of strikes me when, when Vanita approached you, she had not yet become president, right? but she ended up becoming president. And when Sarah invited you to be a part of that work. Actually, she was, she was already a past president by then. Sarah was, Sarah was president in 2013, which was the year before I was president in 2014. So what, what the, the point is, is that coming and going through the chairmanship of BRI, these are people that are involved before they're ever even considered to be president and they remain involved after they've already been president. And mm-hmm. that's what you just described with Benita and, and with Sarah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I appreciate that. And, and you're right. Those are two people. Of course, those are two people that have had a, a lot of impact on a lot of people at BRI. Um, and um, so I appreciate that story. You're welcome. Um, it's nice to reminisce. Um, I, I will also say this, um, cause I mentioned this to you, but I, I want to, give you a little bit more context. One of the other things that was happening for me as I was sort of trying to figure out, um, you know, the combination of my professional and personal work-life balance um, was like, is there something else that I could do to contribute in the nonprofit philanthropic space um, that wasn't leading an organization? And I I know um, there's there's lots to be said about what it's like to run a, a nonprofit um, it is both one of the most incredible opportunities and hardest things you'll ever do. Um, and so I was at that sort of uh, crossroads trying to figure it out. And you had just started sort of doing some coaching um, and really sort of exploring what that could look like. And I thought, huh, okay. And I remember, I don't even know if you remember this, Patrick. Um, I followed up with you. I just sent you an email. I was like, hey, I think I might sort of be interested in this like coaching thing that you talked about. Like, would you be willing to share information about it? And you were like extremely responsive and just really like supportive. Like, hey, if this is something that you're interested in, I absolutely could see you being successful. And, you know, I'm more than happy to do what I can. And as you know, (laughs) I did not take you up on the offer, but I think it was the way in which you were so willing to make yourself available that I really appreciated and didn't forget. So I wanted you to know that um, you also hold a special place for me as a, as a Blue Ridger. Oh, likewise, Carrie, you know, it, there's, I love what you just said about not taking me up on it because really to me, one of the magical things about being a part of this BRI group is 
just knowing that you're there is a comfort. You know, it's a P. It gives you confidence. It gives you, uh, you know, there are so many people I could call on right now. I could pick up the phone and call on them with all kinds of different needs, you know, whether it's a, a, a personal crisis or an organizational or just advice or whatever. I could pick up the phone and call any number of people across this country that are just a part of the BRI network. And they would not only answer, but they would fall all over themselves to help me. I think that's just the what I think that's the, the culture of way it is. And I also you write about the diversity and it wasn't just in the, it wasn't just in the president seat that we lacked diversity. The whole organization lacked diversity as many things have for many, many years. Um, that's one of the things I, I think um, BRI has done wonderfully in the last, I'll say 10 years. Um, you know, are, are we there? I don't know. Are we ever there? <laughs> but, but um, boy, have we come a long way in in the i think the diversity the equity and the inclusion we won't we won't have a podcast about diversity equity and inclusion um but i think bri has modeled it as as well as anyone i'm seeing model it it's imperfect but uh, i i appreciate that it's practical and that it's real and that there's real movement forward would you agree with that I absolutely would, Patrick. And the other thing I'll say, um, and this is sort of my own take, um, and I'd be, you know, I think what we see in, in Blue Ridge is actually a symptom of the larger picture. And that's where I see um, Blue Ridge really stepping up. So as you mentioned at the beginning of this the onset, the idea of Blue Ridge really was for the highest ranking official or staff member within an organization. So CEO, president, ED, um, and then sort of opened up that opportunity to sort of people in the C-suite that directly reported to the CEO. Um, and then obviously um, we now have opportunities to, to not to be self-nominated, although there is still this strong emphasis, I believe, on senior letter level leadership. And so what we realize as part of that work is that part of where we were seeing this dearth of folks to even invite to the next level of leadership was that there was also sort of this gap in philanthropy in general. And I think that um, that's one of the things that we as individual and collective Blue Ridges have really been identifying and hoping to also address. So I completely agree with you. We have taken, I think, a very practical approach to really sort of addressing what really is a larger picture beyond us. But what we saw was a reflection of what philanthropy and, and nonprofit sector looks like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and again, a lot of people that you and I know in this network are doing tons of work on the ground in their communities in this area, as well as, you know, just the 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 overall mission of their organizations. So um, let me say a little bit more about the, the Institute for people that might be interested in knowing, first of all, go to blueridgeleaders.org to find out more and just kind of see more about the Institute and this year's conference and, and kind of how this works. But boy, we've had, we've had in our programming, um, you know, DeWitt Jones, the, the world-class National Geographic photographer talking about creativity. We've had the head of the independent sector. Um, we've had, you know, Vu Lee was with us a couple of years ago. A lot of nonprofit uh, leaders are familiar with his work and his blog and his sort of philosophy on things. Um, <clears throat> we've had Dan Pallotta, who's well-known now in the sector for his 
his book Uncharitable and and his work around uh, trying to uh, get people to not be con- so concerned about overhead and be more concerned about impact and return on investment. Um, I, I, years ago before I was a member, we had Ralph Nader was one of the speakers. I mean, it has been a, a, a set of world-class uh, speakers and programs throughout the years that we've had. And we've had other times where it's been a little more homegrown and we've got people in our own network who are very skilled at consulting or framing or sharing examples of success in their community. So from a programming standpoint, it's kind of all over the place, but it's focused on leadership and leadership in our communities and leadership in the social sector. From a renewal standpoint, um, we're going to Massanutten Resort for the first time this year, so none of us really know fully what to expect, although I think a couple of our <clears throat> readers that went up there and spent a few days sort of um, scouting it out. Um, I went years ago with my wife uh, just on a, a quick vacation, but I don't remember much about it. I can tell you that from an activity standpoint, since I've been in part of BRI, um, horseback riding, volleyball, tennis, hiking, dancing, um, ping pong, (laughs) cards, sitting up at night and just talking, whatever. Um, You name uh, paddle boating, um, 5K runs, tons of activity. This is really about getting, um, as you said very well early on, Carrie, just taking care of ourselves and letting our hair down. Um, we do that in the program <laughs> meetings too, actually. But um, And then there's, there's the another part of this that I think is really important for people to understand how this is different. When we say family, we literally mean our families. So there are people that have been coming to Blue Ridge for many years and they have brought their families and doubled it as a family vacation, rented a cabin on site and brought their young kids. And we have literally watched babies grow up into adults who are now doing things like serving as our Youth Leadership Academy counselors at BRI. It is so cool to watch how the kids have been involved. We have what we call Briggs. That's B-R-I-G. That's that's a B-R-I guest. So my wife has come many years. My daughter came and sang a duet with me at the annual talent show at B-R-I that we have. Um, the kids get involved in the talent show. It's, it's quirky and fun and goofy and sometimes serious. We have a president's ball that honors that year's president and the, the, what that represents. And we party and we have fun and we dance. There's just so much more than um, hearing from program speakers. So it, I think it's just been a tremendous blend. Since you've been a part of BRI, you said 2012, is that right? Yes. Yeah. What have been the things that you look forward to the most? What have I missed? You know, what's... um. What are, what are some of the activities or the concepts or the, just the elements of BRI that have been the highlights for you? Yeah. So Patrick, I think a couple of things come to mind when I think of activities. The first thing that I don't think you had on your list was the afternoon naps. I'm a big fan. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I tend to take advantage of that. The other thing is um, for several years, and I don't think we'll be able to do it this year, but we would have a, um, an adults versus youth softball game, um, which 
that is not my strength, but my strength is, was always being one of the best, worst cheerleaders. Yeah. Uh, the best, worst so, cheerleaders. Yeah. So that was a great opportunity to sort of really just the camaraderie of it and to make up like crazy cheers and be around a bunch of, you know, committed uh, social service professionals who didn't take themselves too seriously. Um, I do think, you know, it's interesting when you think about the programming because I'm the kind of person that um, during conferences, I always try to make space for what is the takeaway for me? How am I going to take it back and apply it and use it? And I can't remember a time where I didn't have at least a couple of things that I took back with me. Um, you know, there were some years, as you mentioned, that we had sort of more well-known speakers, but ultimately every year there was something that I could get um, from the program that really helped me to sort of go back home with a new perspective or additional ideas or just really practical tools um, to improve how I worked at home. Home. Yeah. Oh, there. I mean, you, you're going to walk away with so much if, if you come to BRI. It, it almost doesn't matter what year you're going to walk away with something. It's incredibly valuable. Um, and the people, right? So we did like I, you mentioned that again. You mentioned that before, but I think you know even. And this is what I would encourage people to think about outside of the formal programming. It really is the opportunity to connect with some incredible leaders from across the country at this point who just have amazing, um, amazing histories, amazing experiences, but also the willingness and openness to be available. And I think, you know, there's so many great stories that I've heard, just one-offs of, you know, folks who were transitioning in their career and, you know, talk to another Blue Ridger who helped them to make a connection here that got them to a place there. And I think, you know, we use the term networking. Sometimes I think a little too, um, uh too often but really the idea of blue ridge as a family of church of choice is a network and a group of people that you can depend on in ways that you might not even be able to imagine so glad you said that uh, and and when you said the word network this time it reminded me this is not like a chamber after hours event and it's not like a new conference that you've never been to at the hotel room where networking means you walk into the opening reception and there's a, you know, a hundred people in the room that you've never met before. And they're already standing in their groups and talking to each other and you don't know anybody and you're very uncomfortable and you don't know, you, you don't want to interrupt somebody. You feel awkward. That's not what this is. I, I the, the one thing I think about BRI now, normally people are invited by someone they know. And so they walk in with someone already that they can connect with them. But We've had people come that, you know, didn't really know a lot of people and instantly you are connected, you know, instantly you are welcomed and you are included. And I mean, we had a couple of number of years ago that met at BRI and ended up getting married, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so there's, it's, it's a really, it's a really neat thing. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, I wanted to do this, uh, Carrie, one, to get, let people hear from you and, and meet you and, and what an incredible leader you are. And so they, they get an idea of the kind of people that are at BRI, but I really wanted to kind of take this opportunity to explain a little bit about what BRI is. I've had a ton of BRI guests on the podcast. And so we've mentioned it a lot. And I imagine a lot of our listeners are like, what's this Blue Ridge Institute thing. So just wanted people to know if you're in the social sector, you're in a leadership role, particularly a senior leadership role. We do, we do focus on that. 
um, reach out to us and let us know. You can reach out through the Blue Ridge Institute website. You can reach out through our website, uh, contact me directly, contact Carrie directly, any of us. And if you want to, if, if you want to go to BRI and you want to already know someone, get to know one of us beforehand and we'll, we'll take you on. We'll, we'll, we'll mentor you. We'll, we'll meet you there. We'll make sure you get connected. Uh, it's amazing. It's a great retreat. It's a great, um, I think recharging for, Mm -hmm. um, for you and your work. We're doing tough work. One of the things that I'm hearing a lot, I'm hearing my consultant colleagues tell me that they're hearing it a lot. People are tired. I hear it on almost every coaching session when I start the conversation with, so how you doing? I hear, and I hear that and I just kind of, well, I'm good. (laughs) Really? Well, I'm tired, but I'm good. (laughs) You know, well, I'm stressed, but I'm good. Um, so this is, um, this is well worth it. We could go on. Um, maybe, maybe we'll do another episode down the line. Love, love to learn more about, um, about the work you're doing with the foundation. Maybe we could talk about that more, Carrie, but, um, before we go, there are a couple of questions I like to ask all my guests. And one of them is you've told us a little bit about your sort of professional work around Onyx and just before Onyx and now your work with the foundation and we roll at BRI. This is a leadership podcast. Who are one or two leaders that you can think of going back to your life, whether from childhood or currently one or two leaders in your life that have made that you would say have made a tremendous impact on your leadership and what you're doing. Just tell us who those are um, and and why. Yeah, so a little known fact about me, I actually have um, a bachelor's degree in chemistry, molecular biology, and a master's in environmental science. Oh, so I took a- stop it. I <laughs> took a very securitous route into the nonprofit space. Um, but I think the skills are really applicable. One of the things that I think is I bring this ability to analyze and think about things strategically. Um, but in, in sharing that, um, I, I share that history to say this. One of the most influential leaders for me was um, my supervisor, um, at the lab at um, Pfizer Center Research in Groton, Connecticut, that I worked with, I was literally twenty-something, um, um, new into the space, you know, of of formal work, and um, had a little bit of uh, like a little rocky time there. Um, and he just pulled me aside, and he was really. Um, very direct and transparent, but also supportive at the same time and said, hey, I see, you know, you're going in a direction that I don't think is ideal and helpful for you. Here's some things that I'd like you to consider. And I think it was the loving way he talked to me. Now, ultimately, um, working in a lab wasn't something that fueled me. I just needed to be interacting with something other than uh, Petri dishes and um, (laughs) DNA. Um, But it was an opportunity for me to get an experience that I would not have had otherwise. And I often think that some of the best ways of figuring out what you do want to do is to figure out what you don't want to do. And so even though it didn't turn into a long-term job for me. It was his support in the way of just like helping me frame it that I was able to learn a lot. And it, it's really influenced the way I look at leadership from, from then on. So much of what I hear when I ask that question of people, and it's intriguing, 
so much of it goes back to a time when somebody invited you to do something. Mm-hmm. I'm just, as you said that, it dawned on me that many of the people that have, that have shared the stories of the leaders in their lives, it comes back to a moment where someone said, hey, why don't you do this? Or could you take this on? Or um, someone who would stretch you, who would see and believe in you. And the fact that they would ask kind of leads you to go, huh, I guess I could, I guess I can, maybe I am capable of doing, I I just, I sense that a lot. That's what I got out of that story right there. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an awesome story. Anyone else that comes to mind or? Um, not formally. I think, um, there are leadership qualities that I've seen and identified in folks. And to be honest with you, I've had some folks who I wouldn't identify as positive leaders who've helped me to see what I don't want to do. And I think, again, to the point that I'm making, that I think sometimes it's what you don't, even if you don't know what you do want, helping you to identify what you don't want. Absolutely. Yeah. It's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned a lot from leaders that I would not want to emulate. Mm-hmm. And, but it, and it's good. Those are, those people are put in your lives and they, they, they contribute. I mean, that's a part of it. Um, Carrie, my last question for you, and I, I, I hate to have to go, but this really could go on. Um, thank you so much for being generous with your time. And thank you, by the way, for stepping up and leading BRI. It's a big job. Um, people might think, Oh, what do you mean? It's a big job. It's an annual conference. Yeah. Have you ever put one on? Um, <laughs> and, and uh, while you're also trying to to coordinate, um, all the, the connection that happens between times. I've just, I've loved the way you've stayed consistent with communicating with everyone, keeping it at the forefront of everyone's mind along the year and just helping us get excited about this. But thank you for that. And, um, for your time here, my last question for you is what's the Carrie Hepburn Brown 22nd soundbite of leadership, meaning, if, if you, you know, if you had a platform for the entire world, for everyone who's a leader to hear what Carrie Hepburn Brown thinks is the number one thing you got to keep in mind as a leader, what would that be? <laughs> to sum it up at 20 seconds is really Yeah, hard. that's not a big question at all, it, is it? It has definitely been both an honor and a pleasure to serve in this capacity um, and to continue refining my leadership um, skills. Um I think for me, I really think of um, leadership in two ways. Um, Some people use the word inspiration, motivation, encouragement, and I think that's one aspect of it. Um, But ultimately, I think that as a leader, my job is to uh, create a pathway for you to excel, learn, and grow. And so I used to say all the time to my teams that my job is to make your job easier. And I think that is certainly the case. The other element of that is really casting a vision and giving some and giving folks Lord, a, a North Star and something to work towards. So if you can figure out how to balance that, uh, that support and motivation, um, and ability to be a visionary and also sort of work in tandem and be a servant and a partner. I think you have all the qualities to be a successful leader. Wow. Okay. That was really good. Re- uh, for, for those of you listening, rewind about, <laughs> I don't know, re- rewind a minute or so and listen to that again. Carrie, that really resonated with me. And I think you and I share a lot in common in terms of how we view leadership and what it is that creating a path. I, of, I often call it shaping a path for others. Um, So I I really appreciate that. Um, Thank you again, Carrie, for the time. Folks, if you're interested in BRI, go to blueridgeleaders.org to learn more. 
reach out to me at any point in time if you've got additional questions. Um, those of you that are uh, familiar with us and connected with us. Um, I want to remind you all that we also have a YouTube channel. Just go to our website at jinxperspective.com and click on the main menu where it says YouTube. Um, and, and about every other week, we have a five minute or so episode. It's more of a coaching uh, video for nonprofit leaders. And we cover everything from branding to employee engagement, to board recruitment, to some cool technology pieces. So check us out on YouTube as well. Stay tuned for episode 70. Nike Anani is coming back. If you remember her, she is a Nigerian-born, um, incredible entrepreneur helping family businesses with transition and succession and vision for the future. And when she was on the on the podcast a number of months ago, she was still working on her book and it's now out. So she's going to come back, talk about the book and what's in it, give you an opportunity to connect with that. And we're going to talk more about how her work connects to nonprofit succession planning and transition and uh, some of the tenets that we need to think about. So this is going to be kind of a part two of that series. So stay tuned. Thanks again for joining in everyone. Thanks again, Carrie and lead on folks. Folks.